is from Acts chapter 14, which is on page 1109 of the Church Bibles. Acts chapter 14. So Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and reeds to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and, with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. The second reading is from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 35. And this can be found on page 1110. 
1110 of the Church Bibles, that is. Reading from Acts 15, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the what signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this, as it is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Basabas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. 
men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ranjit. Um, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you very much for your word. But I and we need your help as we reflect on it. Um, please, Father, speak to us. Um, help us, Lord, by your spirit to hear what, what you have us hear and to uh, grow in faith and love, we pray. Amen. Well, one of my favorite uh, TV shows is the panel show, Would I Lie to You? Don't know if you've seen it. Um, here's the idea. Contestants go onto the show and they make these outrageous claims that, that can't be true, or these really banal claims that must be true, and it's up to the other team to sort out the fact from the fiction, what's truth and what's a lie. And uh, an episode that, that we watched recently, the BBC presenter Dan Walker, if you, uh, if you know him, he claimed to run a very exclusive club called Egg Club. And the idea behind Egg Club is, well, no one really knows. Um, it started with people sending him pictures of poached eggs and asking if they could join Egg Club. And, uh, well, yeah, stuff like this. Can I come into Egg Club? Um, can we go back? Can we go back, Sam? Thanks. Um, he claimed <laughs> it started with people sending him pictures, you know, let's, let's, can I join Egg Club? And, you know, as well as being a man with, with several kids um, and TV shows to run, he somehow had the spare time to, uh, to run this Egg Club as well for no apparent reason. And, of course, the other team said, this must be a lie. This can't be true. It's ridiculous. But lo and behold, it was true. Dan Walker is the president of Egg Club, which has a very exclusive membership, something like 15 members. And you get things like this coming on his Twitter. Can I come into Egg Club? Um, next one, please, Sam. Uh, here's my egg. Surely it's fit for Egg Club. Uh, and very occasionally, someone's allowed in. Uh, this egg, I think. Yeah, after careful consideration, it's a pleasure to welcome you into Egg Club. Only member number, number 11, very exclusive. But much more often, people are banned. Um, this one here. Uh, <laughs> uh, he gave a couple of reasons. Clear use of poaching aid, visible remote control. You're out. You don't have what's required. There's one more. That one there. Suspected use of hoisin, 
unauthorized mushrooms, you're out. You don't have what's required. Well, who cares if you don't get into Ag Club? <laughs> no one's going to be unsettled about that. But what if it's something bigger? Being in a sports team that you had your heart set on, a friendship group, a family, and you're told, sorry, you don't have what's required, you're out. What if it's bigger than that? God's family, you're out. You don't have what's required. That would be unsettling. Well, that's the issue in Acts 15 that Ranjit just read for us. It's the question, how are we saved? How do we get into God's family? What's required? And it's sparked by these people who come to Antioch uh, with the teaching in verse 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, here's what's required. To be saved, to be in God's family, you have to be circumcised, like God's people were commanded in the Old Testament. Actually, it's more than that. You have to start by being circumcised and then continue by keeping the whole Old Testament law. Circumcision begins a life of law-keeping. It's the teaching in verse 5 a bit later. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So what's required? Well, according to these guys, you must be circumcised and keep the law. Now, we've read the story, so it's not a spoiler to say that's wrong. We're dealing here with false teaching. It's not true. And for lots of us this morning, that's obvious. But if you'd been back in Antioch then, when these guys first said it, it wouldn't have been so clear this was false teaching. To lots of us, it probably would have sounded quite believable. You know, uh, here are these guys who say we have to keep the law, and they're confident. They say the Bible's on their side. I haven't really thought about this very much because I just haven't had to, and now I'm not sure what to think. Maybe they are right. Maybe this is what's required. And so this teaching, it has two consequences. First, it disturbs Christians. You get that in verse 24 how these Christians in Antioch are disturbed. Their minds are troubled by what they're hearing. They thought they were in God's family, and now these people tell them, no, you don't have what's required. You're out. You're not circumcised. You don't keep the law. You're not forgiven, accepted. Imagine being in their shoes. Very unsettling. See, earlier in Acts, you might remember Darren showing us from chapter 10 God had showed Peter how anyone can be saved, not just Jews, but Gentiles too, like most of us, like these Gentiles, uh, Gentile Christians in Antioch, or lots of them anyway. And now they're told, yeah, anyone can be saved, even you Gentiles, but you can't stay Gentile. You have to become Jewish, like God's Old Testament people. Get circumcised and follow the law until you do that. You don't have what's required. You're out. Imagine the worries you might feel. Well, that's the first consequence of this teaching. It disturbs Christians. Here's the second. It provokes debate. You see that in verse 2. Paul and Barnabas are drawn into sharp dispute 
with the people teaching this stuff. That's strong language, which could seem old because today when it comes to religion, most people think there's no such thing as real truth. You know, you have your beliefs, I have my beliefs, and if they're different, that's fine. A bit like one person prefers sun and another person prefers shade. It's all just opinion. But Paul doesn't think that way. He thinks the question of what God requires has a real true answer and wrong answers. And it really matters sorting that out. It's worth debating. It's worth even going the 400 plus mile journey from Antioch to Jerusalem to clear it up. And if you've been following the story in Acts so far, this might strike you. For most of Acts, the movement, the action, has been going outwards, uh, spreading the news about Jesus from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, like we saw happening with the Pathfinder's reading in the last chapter. But here, that, out, that outwards movement gets reversed. We're going back to Jerusalem, as if the spread of the gospel can't continue until this is sorted out. We need clarity on the message for it to spread. So Paul and his friends, they go to Jerusalem, and they're welcomed by the church, but immediately it's a bit awkward. The Christians from a Pharisee background, they stand up and say, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law. That's tricky, isn't it? So the leaders of the church, they meet in a council to settle this question. And for a while, they're not all on the same page. Verse 7 says there was much discussion. It's actually the same strong language from verse 2. They were debating. They had different views. They didn't agree at first. They listened to each other. Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, they share their experience of God at work among the Gentiles. James takes them to Scripture. But as they wrestle with this question, Notice they've got a clear goal. They're trying to figure out what does God want? What does God require? That comes across really clearly, you can see on the screen there. They don't resolve this by asking themselves, what do we want? Let's look inside ourselves and decide which way we lean. They're not asking, what does our culture want? Let's look around and see how people lean. They don't ask what's pragmatic, what's gonna keep the most number of us on side. No, they, they're trying to discern together, what does God want? What does he require? And we don't know how long they debated for, hours, days, more. If you were part of it, maybe you'd be worried about which teaching is gonna win out and you'd feel the messiness of the process as people share their different views, and you're not sure where things are going. And you might not realize it, but God is guiding things behind this messy process. God is guiding his church towards true teaching. That's what happened here. What started as false teaching and led to debate ends up clarifying the truth. So that question, how are we saved? What's required? Well, God guides his church, and here's where they get to. 
that God saves all alike by faith. After much discussion, Peter speaks to the council, and he talks about what God did back in chapter 10. Um, it's there in, uh, in verse 7. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Uh, have faith. Next slide, please, Sam. Back then, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. God accepted these Gentiles who weren't circumcised, gave them his spirit. He didn't discriminate between us and them, us Jews and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. See what Peter's saying, these Gentiles, they're clean, purified, accepted by God, not because they've kept the law, been circumcised, but through faith. He didn't require them to do more than that. And since God has done that, Peter says, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? In other words, why are you requiring more of these Gentiles than God does? Contradicting him. Besides, we Jews, we've never managed to keep the law anyway. It's been like a heavy burden around our necks, showing up our sin and our failure. It can't save. Rather, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. God saves Jews and Gentiles alike through faith in Jesus, not through law-keeping. That's what he requires. If Gentiles want to come into God's family, be forgiven, accepted. We don't have to become Jews. We trust Jesus, and that's it. Seems too good to be true, doesn't it? Surely more is required. But Jesus is gracious. He'll take anyone who believes in him, not because we're deserving, but because He's kind. He died for us. Someone put it this way. At the cross of Jesus, pardon is complete. Love and justice mingle. Truth and mercy meet. Though my sins condemn me, Jesus died instead. There is full forgiveness in the blood he shed. We trust in Jesus, and that's it. Uh, these are Peter's last words in the book of Acts. We don't hear from him again. And he sounds pretty different to back in chapter 10, doesn't he? Remember, never, Lord. I'll never hang out with those unclean Gentiles. And now he's telling others what God requires. God saves all alike, Jews and Gentiles, through faith in Jesus. Well, then James speaks up. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he shows how the Old Testament points in this direction, too, of Gentiles being included. And then he wraps up in verse 19. James says, It's my judgment, therefore, that we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to gold. All right, sounds good. But then you get this weird-sounding stuff. Instead, we should write to them telling them these four things. To abstain from food polluted by idols, 
from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogue on every Sabbath. Don't eat black, don't eat black pudding. Don't have rare steak. What's going on? Actually, it sounds quite like bits of the Old Testament law. Is James trying to sneak the law back in through the back door? Well, no, I don't think he is. I think it's more like this. God saves all alike by faith, and faith shows itself in love. See, those four things Jim mentions, uh, they're all to do with idolatry. In Gentile culture, it was normal to sacrifice to idols. We saw kind of a glimpse of that in the last chapter. To eat idol feasts, even to commit sexual immorality as part of idol worship. These four things, they're a package deal. They go together about idolatry. And now that these Gentiles are turning to the true God in Jesus, it's just appropriate they turn away from these things that have to do with worshiping other gods. See, James isn't asking them to keep Jewish law. He's asking them to express their new faith in love, love for God, by having nothing to do with other gods, and love for their Jewish brother and sister Christians, who would find it really, really hard to hang out with them if these Gentiles kept up anything to do with this stuff. It's very similar to what Paul says in Galatians about how Christians should live. Uh, next slide, Sam. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter too much about circumcision. The only thing that counts is faith. It's expressing itself through love. And just notice, when the council writes to these Gentile Christians, asking them to abstain from these things, they're not saying, here's what you have to do to get into God's family. No, they call them brothers. You're in the family already. We're not asking you to do this stuff so you'll be accepted. You already belong through faith in Jesus. We're just asking you to live that out, to live in a way that fits being in the family. And so what started as false teaching that disturbed Christians and provoked debate, it ends very differently. God guides his church to clarify the truth. And here are the results. Verse 31, Christians are encouraged. The letter sent by the consul, um, uh, the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. You're not out. You're in. Because God saves all alike by faith. You don't need to be circumcised and keep the law. Just live in a way that fits with belonging. You're in. And as well as that, the message spreads. See that if you glance down at verse 35, verse 41. Now that there's clarity on the truth, it's going out again. We'll see more of that next week. Isn't that good? It starts with false teaching. God guides his church to clarify the truth, and Christians are encouraged, and the message spreads. 
Well, I hope God has been impressing things on you as we've looked at this story. Um, But let me just finish with two quick implications. Number one, be assured by the message of grace. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? That's all God requires. If you are, then hear this. You're in, accepted, forgiven, part of God's family. If you're sitting there thinking, for whatever reason, I don't belong, you do, through faith in Jesus. It's all God requires. Second implication, be confident God will spread the message of grace. False teaching can make us worry, um, and of course there's something right to that. But let's not worry about false teaching as if God isn't in the picture, as if he's not guiding things. In this story, and many times since, God has used wrong teaching as the trigger to help his church clarify the truth. And today it's the same. He will guide his church. It may be messy and rocky, but he will guide. And he'll see that the gospel continues to spread the good news of his grace. Well, let me pray. And uh, then Matt and the musicians are going to come back up. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are a good, gracious Father. Thank you that by trusting in Jesus, we are part of your family. And thank you, Lord, that here in this story and for many years since, you've been guiding your church to stick with the truth. And even through error, you've been helping us to clarify what it is you want us to believe and share. And we pray you would still be at work in that way today. Thank you for your uh, fatherly care. Amen.